0: Hi there, and welcome once again to Insight Peterborough. I'm Devon Wilkins. Insight Peterborough is a project of the Peterborough chapter of the Canadian Council of the Blind. And if you're wanting to know more about the Canadian Council of the Blind, otherwise known as the CCB, By all means, feel free to send an email to ccbpeterborough at gmail.com, ccbpeterborough at gmail.com. So we're going to begin today by going back into our archives to June 3rd of 2019, and on that day... A uh, former co-host, Simon Trevor Annes and I interviewed a young man named Derek Newman Still, who is a writer here in Peterborough, and he also has a disability, So, and he talks about his three books, so I thought it was most definitely worth playing again. So, we have our first guest today, and uh, their name is Derek uh, Newman Still. And, uh, Derek, you're a writer... Focused mostly on disability issues. Is that right?
1: That's right. Yeah. Um, I'm. Uh, I, I should just start out by. Uh, I teach at Trent University, um, but I also um, do a lot of activist work and uh, and a lot of uh, fiction and nonfiction writing as well. A lot of my work tends to be uh, situated around disability because <laughs> I'm disabled. So write what you know, right? Yeah.
0: Oh, exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, and so uh, I've. I've I've done a few different uh, types of work, so I do a lot of my scholarly work um, around representations of disability in Canadian science fiction and fantasy, and uh, a lot of my fiction work somehow ended up also being um, in the realms of science fiction and fantasy. So uh, I've had a a lot of kind of experience in those areas and and I think that's really important to look at especially representations of disability in science fiction Mm -hmm. um, because so often uh, science fiction writes us out of the equation uh, and pretends as though the future is just non-disabled as though somehow we've been disappeared from the future. Um, And so a lot of my work is on that focus on bringing us back in and pointing out that we're here and we're going to be here for a long time.
0: Exactly. Uh, What really irritates me is uh, I like uh, watching The Onion, the Restless. Oh, yes. And uh, everybody that has a disability, uh, one way or the other, they're magically cured.
1: Of course.
0: Yes. (laughs) Which just drives me crazy.
1: We we talk about that a lot in in scholarship around uh, disability as well. Um, there's the, the the technological cure or in fantasy the magical cure. Yes, um, and it's as though able-bodied writers can't conceive of someone living and having a disability.
0: I know. And yeah.
1: So they either manipulate their plots so that we only live for a short time after becoming disabled, or um, they have us magically healed somehow by yeah. a new technological invention or or some new type of magic, or uh, my favorite is with people with, with uh, brain injuries, when somehow they, they tend to, in a lot of fiction, fall again, hit their head, and suddenly are cured from, yes. I guess, the anti-concussion concussion. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... You've just uh, written a book uh, recently, haven't you, that has been published?
1: Yeah, um, I have two books out this year. Um, One is called uh, Over the Rainbow, Folk and Fairy Tales from the Margins, uh, which focuses on um, essentially rewriting fairy tales from the perspectives of marginalized folks.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah,
1: um, because so often we're told that... um, That fairy tales aren't changeable, but of course, they're oral narrative. They've always been changeable, and they've always changed, and yet they they don't include disabled voices, or they include us as the villains. Yes. Um and so uh I thought it was important for us to have the the ability to bring in um some some marginalized voices both from from the disabled community but also from the queer community and from the community of uh, black indigenous people of color um and other underrepresented groups to show we're really important to to telling stories yeah
0: definitely, yeah, we're a part of life, so uh yeah. might as well uh talk about us and get us out there yeah.
2: and that sort of thing I'm okay. always surprised at how often the disability is used for an evil character like the evil yes. character has has a disability or uh, yeah. it just seems so common
0: the hunchback of Notre Dame
2: you don't think yeah. about it much but now that we've said it on the air I mean somebody yeah. watching this or listening to this you'll see things
1: differently absolutely and especially um, it ties into a trope that we we call um, the self-loathing cripple trope. Um, where often the reason why the character is a villain is because they hate themselves in the disabled body. Yeah. And so they then enact villainous acts to, um, to take it out on the able-bodied world, which I think shows us a lot about able-bodied fears of disability as well. Yes. Um, it really kind of shows that, that discomfort that folks have around, uh, around disabled bodies and that, that lack of knowledge, I think, uh, facilitates a lot of that.
3: Mm Hmm.
2: I I wonder how many people know somebody who is living with something like that. I mean, how many kids grow up never even meeting somebody or knowing somebody? So the only chance they get to see them, they're represented as an evil character in a
1: in a a Disney film or something. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Deb. No, no, go ahead. Uh, especially since uh, so often disabled folks, uh, we tend to be institutionalized a lot. So our society functions on this basis of hiding us. Um, so we frequently have that that kind of philosophy of um, if you don't see the disabled person, then you don't have to create any accommodations for them. Yeah. Um, and it, it influences the way especially people grow up thinking about disability because all they're seeing is us represented as villains or us represented as, um, people who hate themselves or us represented only shortly until, um, character death. Um, we use the term for that trope. Uh, it's called the better dead than disabled trope, oh. um, because the, the writers can't think of a way that someone could live a happy life and be disabled. Yeah. And just to, to kind of, uh, illustrate the way that plays out in, in the real world, um, when when Stephen Hawking died, I, I posted something about the problematic representation of him um, because people were showing images of him standing up and walking out of his chair and and into oblivion. And I was like, this is really problematic to to try to conceive of him as able-bodied after death. And people wrote tons and tons of hate mail to me saying, um, like, we're just trying to be nice and it's better for him and he's better off. And, uh, And then when I was like, well, I'm a disabled person and I I would like to think that I'm happy and and living happily and they were like this is just ridiculous it's a joke you can't be happy and disabled um and so I'm, I'm toning down the language because there was a lot more <laughs> a lot more yeah. colorful language in there yes <laughs> yeah.
0: that reminds me of a conference that I went to a number of years ago and apparently that one of the guys that was speaking said that um he had uh um, oh, SMA, uh, spinal muscular atrophy, yeah, and uh, he developed a case of pneumonia, and the doctor looked at him and said, "You don't really want medication, do you?" So what? I know, isn't that despicable?
1: It's unbelievable. Yeah. I shouldn't say it's unbelievable because it's it happens all the time, but yeah. it, it's just frustrating.
0: It sure is. Yes. In this day and age, I mean, you'd think that people would learn by by this time, for goodness sake. Anyway, uh, so that was that's your first book, and what is your the second book that's out? Oh, right,
1: now? yes, that's important to cover too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, the the other book that I have out this year um, is a collection of stories called We Shall Be Monsters, and <laughs> it's uh, it's about the legacy of Frankenstein because last year uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein turned two hundred, uh-huh. um, and so we wanted to do something that honored uh, Mary Shelley's legacy. Um, and especially something that really delved into body texts. And um, unlike with Over the Rainbow, I, I didn't put a huge amount about specifically requesting stories from people in marginalized communities, but that's most of what came in. And those, of course, were the, the strongest stories, because there's something about understanding the position of Mary Shelley's, like, Frankenstein's monster Um through that notion of the body, and through ideas of oppression, and so much of that um, was reflected in the writing. Um, so we had a, a lot of stories that were really wonderfully, um, what I would call body texts. They were they were focused on the representation of the body and uh, and the monster's experiences of life through the body. So it was it was a really wonderful set of stories that came in.
0: That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you you got uh, stories from various people, did you?
1: Yes. So this was an edited collection, Ah. and we had people um, from all over the world. Over the Rainbow was exclusively Canadian, um, but for We Shall Be Monsters, we decided to open it up. We did get approximately about um, 60% of the stories that we chose were Canadian, um, Mm -hmm. and I think that's... uh, that's, again, part of my preference as an editor. As I was reading them, there were a lot of themes that resonated with me, and they ended up being written by Canadian authors. Because um, I, I purposely kind of did not look at who who was sending things in until after I'd chosen the stories, and then noticed some trends in terms of, oh, I'm choosing stories by folks from Canada, <laughs> folks who are marginalized. Um, and and I think that, that meant for, it was a really interesting collection of text that I think will appeal to non-Canadians as well. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I'm glad to see that there are a number uh, is a number of Canadians that are writing about disability issues.
1: Yeah, and in, in fact, there's a, a collection that is just um, being formed now. I've got a story in it. Um, it's a collection called Nothing Without Us. Oh, good. Um, it is. Uh, it's being edited by. Uh, it's through Renaissance Press, and it's being edited by, uh, by Kat Gordon and uh, by Talia Johnson and uh, it 's all stories by disabled folks, um, multiple different genres. I wrote science fiction, I know shocking <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and my story was sort of about um, it 's called charity um, tm <laughs> <like> trademark <laughs> okay. um, because uh, what i what I do in the story is i um, I tell a story of not too distant future um, where we folks with disabilities have to go to these um, charity shows and essentially have to show off our disabled bodies in order to be able to get funding um, through um, a company called Charity, um, which uh, which then funds us because of government cutbacks. And so um, I wanted to show the kind of the way that our disabled bodies are being treated like objects um, and, our, um, and the fact that our, our governments are... Are moving further and further away from support programs for us, yes, um, and defunding us over and over and over again. And so, I, I'm excited to see the rest of the stories in the collection too, because I, I have a feeling, um, like knowing the editors, it's going to be a really interesting collection, um, full of very eclectic stories around disability.
0: Mm-hmm. When? D- sorry, Simon. Yeah,
1: you've got a
2: question, Devin. Go for it. I'm going to go up
1: next.
0: Oh, I was just going to ask uh, when. Do you know when that might be out?
1: I believe it's being kickstarted right now, oh. um, and so they're they're trying to to get funding from the community to be able to um, uh, to pay their authors and to pay for publication. Um, I don't know when the Kickstarter stops, uh, but I I believe it's out this year. It should be out later on this year. Okay. Um, I should probably check with the editors before I say that, <laughs> but I'm going to say maybe this year. Yes, <laughs>
3: yeah. If
1: not, then early next year. Hmm. Yeah. and I'm just really excited about it they've asked me to also write the uh, the introduction for it as well oh, um, and so I'm excited about how I can bring those stories together and talk about this idea around the need for fiction by disabled people um, that are also for disabled people because so often and I'm, I'm sure we've all read stories by disabled people that are written assuming an able-bodied audience yes. Um, and it's just nice to have stories that are written by us for us. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so I'm I'm really excited about about seeing stories that don't have to go into details pathologizing our bodies first. Right. But instead, like just jump right into the story.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Simon.
2: So I'm curious. Uh, I don't read a lot myself, and and I don't watch a lot of shows, and I don't. Yeah. I don't take on a, a lot of media, but. Uh, I mean, are there really great examples of popular uh, text or media where people are represented well in in all forms of life? And do you think that, uh, just a second build-on question, do you think that the right way to go to try and get everybody to see things differently, to to have specific categories of film and media and art, or do you think we should try to hide it or embed uh, really, really positive representations in everything and try to just
1: make sure we're all... Uh, represented. I think we've got a, a lot of educating to do for folks um, around um, around how to write fiction um, that represents disability in a positive, I shouldn't say positive, innate, um, in a realistic way. Um, because a lot of folks, I, I give a lot of talks on uh, at authors' conferences, writers' conferences, on how to write disability, and uh, and often what ends up happening is. Um, people will ignore everything that I've said and then send me a manuscript that they're like, okay, here's my manuscript, and it'll be what we call in the disabled community inspiration porn. Mm -hmm. Um, The the term inspiration porn is used for... um, I'm sure we've all seen... Um, these on Facebook, but the, um, the the worst disability in life is a bad attitude or um, things along those lines yeah. or um, you never know what you can do and it'll have a, an image of a disabled person doing something totally normal. Um, and so a lot of folks will, will think that they need to write a positive story about disability, but then we'll make it entirely about turning us into inspiration, um, turning us into um, essentially hollow characters that are uninteresting that are just made to be inspirational to able-bodied people um i think we have a a lot of this issue in in a lot of our fiction and it kind of subtends a lot of uh, a lot of the tropes that happen in our fiction and ultimately i'd like to tell people if you write a character who is disabled whose only dimensionality is they're disabled that's not a rich character. That's not an interesting character. Um, So it's not only good for uh, us disabled folks to see characters that are well rounded. It's good for the author as well to go beyond just writing a trope. And I've seen authors who have said things like, you know, I gave the story, uh, I give the character a backstory. I'm like, okay, well, what's the backstory? They're blind. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And what's the backstory? Well, Uh, That's why I use images of darkness, and I'm like, oh no, oh Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And so we have this happen so often in our fiction, and, and I think what we need to do is really look hard at the way that disability is being talked about in our social discourse and how that relates to fiction. And And I mean that both ways, because often the way we talk about disability influences the way we write about disability, the mm-hmm. way that films portray disability. But those, those writings and those films also reinforce the social messages around disability in our society, too. And so uh, when folks, for example, are are portraying disability um, in, in their artwork as something that is uh, one, of, one of my least favorite tropes is the faking it trope. Um, where someone is faking their disability, mm-hmm. quote-unquote. Yeah. Um, and that's often, for a lot of mystery books, that ends up being the, the plot is the person mm. was faking it and therefore they're a criminal. Um, and, of course, we can see the impact that has on perceptions around uh, disability support programs. The fact that often more money is spent um, on researching disabled people, on questioning disabled people, than it's actually giving out in support money itself. Um and so we often see that perception that most disabled people are faking it, when of course there's no impetus for us to do that. Who wants to, uh, for example, with ODSP, who wants to live below the poverty line, right? Yeah, precisely. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, that was a really good answer. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry about blabbing on there. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs>
3: no.
1: I feel yeah. a bit passionate about the topic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I
2: feel like we could yeah. talk about this for hours, and I guess yeah. that's why there's a course about this, or you're teaching this type of thing at Trent.
1: In, in different ways, yeah. Um, I've taught a couple of different courses. I always try to bring disability into my teaching as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I've had courses uh, this past year. I've had two courses that were directly related to disability. Um, one was a Disabled Feminisms course, Uh, taught through Women and Gender Studies, and the other was um, uh, Mental Health and Education taught through the Master's Program in Education. Um, But in the past, normally I've taught through the English department, and frequently there... um, uh, often there's pressure to teach the canonical texts. In most English departments, there tends to be a focus on... I'm like, sorry, the canonical? Yeah, so... What like, does that mean? Uh, teach the big names. Okay. And so you know how everyone says, like, you need to have read Shakespeare. You need to have oh, read... Right. Oh, yes. Um, and they'll the list things. Um, often that those texts that tend to be preferred by, by most um, folks teaching tend to be written by straight, able-bodied white men. Um, And so often um, I I think uh, that we need to see more representations of those who aren't covered in the canon of, of literature. Um, folks, especially, um, I like to teach a lot about folks who are uh, people of color, um, folks that are disabled, folks that identify as queer, um, authors who are women, um, and I think that's really important for us to bring into. Um,
0: sorry, sorry no, about that.
1: No, that's okay. Uh, into a lot of our our teaching because we need to give a sense of the the bigger world of fiction that's out there. And especially because our our students are aware of those bigger worlds of fiction um, and are often interested in those areas. They tend to be really passionate about the folks that they haven't heard from before. They don't want another course that, that just talks about Shakespeare. <laughs> they yeah. want one that brings in, like, what are other people talking about? Hmm. Great.
0: So where can people um, get your books uh, f- uh, to to read uh, the library are, are they in their local library
1: uh, I sent in a request for them to bring them in because they do mm-hmm. have a, a local author section and so I don't know if they've gotten them yet I'll have to check in again okay um, but there's also there's copies in the for folks in Peterborough in the local chapters as well. Um, of of Over the Rainbow. um, And both books, uh, Over the Rainbow and We Shall Be Monsters, can be bought on Amazon um, and pretty much anywhere that sells books.
0: Are they in Audible format? Sorry, Simon.
1: Not yet that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. It's something that I've been really pushing for because um, one of the things I talked about with both publishers was the need for us to have accessible versions. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, I'm hoping that we can... Work on that process of getting together an audiobook. It is something that we were able to get. Um, so uh, the um, the anthology I was telling you about of disabled fiction. Um, uh, called Nothing Without Us is uh, is actually getting an audiobook um, and we've okay. made sure and confirmed that um, which is wonderful um, and uh, so I'm excited that that's going to be coming out. I'm hoping that we can do the same for the other collections as well. There seems to be more of a focus uh, from programs like Audible of doing full novels instead of uh, collections of fiction oh, Yeah. and so I'm hoping that, uh, that maybe we can push to have that happen because I I think we benefit from hearing short stories as well.
0: Definitely, yes. Well, thank you so much for coming. That's uh, great, and I wish all the best of luck with your three uh, books, Uh, the two that you already have and the one that's coming out, and uh, I'm hoping we can chat again someday.
1: Thank you. And if you, if for listeners, if you are interested in following up on my work, uh, I have a, a website on disability called Disabled Embodiment and a website on Canadian science fiction and fantasy called Speculating Canada. And so you can do a search for either of those and, and find my work that way.
0: Dot com or dot ca? Uh,
1: the Speculating Canada is speculatingcanada.ca. Uh-huh. And Disabled Embodiment is disabledembodiment.wordpress.com Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the chance to to chat with such brilliant people. (laughs) And uh, I hope we get a chance to bring you on to my show at some point as well, if you have time.
3: Yeah, I'd love uh, to. Because
1: it would be lovely to chat with you again.
0: Yeah. Great. Thanks, Derek. Thank (laughs) you very much. Have a great day. You too, now. And that was an interview that... Simon and I did with author Derek Newman Still. I mentioned that Simon was a former, or is a former co-host, and I should also send a shout-out to our current co-host, Bob Chrysler, who isn't with me. One of these days I'll get him over here. Oh, no, that can't do that right away because that would go against the physical distancing rules. Darn. But anyway, we'll send out a a shout out to uh, Bob Chrysler, who can't be with me specifically because of the um, physical distancing recommendations and regulations that are in place. And I do hope that you're observing those as well. Has it ever occurred to you to think about COVID-19 and your eye health? Well, according to Doug Earle, who is the Executive Director of Fighting Blindness Canada, you should be thinking about it. We have an interview with him, and uh, as you'll see, uh, there is a survey that if you have any of the eye diseases that he's talking about, he really, really wants you to get on the website and fill out that survey. So here's my chat with Doug Earle. Uh, Well, first of all, Doug, welcome back to the program. You seem to be a regular guest on uh, Insight Peterborough here, and we're glad to have you. Thank you. So this time we want to talk about... Covid nineteen, and how to uh, protect your eye health. So, a lot of appointments these days are being canceled. Though, so, Doug, what what should someone do if they have an appointment uh, with their optometrist or ophthalmologist and and it gets canceled? Yeah, that's
4: that's a very important question and. We have been receiving numerous phone calls to the Fighting Blindness Canada's Health Information Line with that same concern. Uh, Your, we're so used to now with this amazing research delivered uh, treatments and the anti-VEGF treatments that have been stabilizing people's sight for age-related macular degeneration or or diabetes-related vision complications, diabetic retinopathy, or. Uh, diabetic macular edema, those eye diseases that, that can lead to blindness. So it, it, it is quite troubling for many people who are uh, concerned that, that now their appointment has been canceled. And I, I think that the best thing that they could do is to call their ophthalmologist and, and just double-check uh, because there are some clinics that are open uh, right now, that that are dealing with urgent cases. So if you if you've been newly diagnosed as, as having bleeding in your eyes, uh, that, that that you know there there is options uh, for people to, uh, to um, go and get the treatment necessary. Uh, that that they're able to. If, if your ophthalmologist has canceled the appointment, I suspect that 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 may be because because you've recently had an, uh, an injection with this anti-VEGF medication. And the research says that, that uh, you can treat and extend, I think is the name of a study, for example, where where the the effect of the anti-VEGF medication uh, lasts beyond the four-week or eight-week uh Use that that is prescribed depending on which medication you're receiving. Mm-hmm. So, it, so there is enough left, and it is working, and uh, and it can it can be uh, for people that are, are on an ongoing basis that have been receiving a number of injections. That that there may be an eight to twelve, and, and some evidence around sixteen weeks uh, where the medication still has effect and is is absorbing that V E G F. Protein that is causing the uh, bleeding in your blood, uh, blood vessels in your eye, uh, which of course leads to vision loss.
0: Right, and so the ophthalmologist, of course, uh, or optometrist would know how long you can uh, can get away without an injection.
4: Yes, that, mm-hmm. and and I think each individual how they react is different. So if you're if you're one of the lucky ones where where you've now gone through the protocol of the sort of the first three months and you've had a monthly injection and and you're now uh, you're able to last uh, the the eight or twelve or sixteen weeks and, and depending on the medication uh, then that's amazing that, that you still get the benefit of this this sight saving treatment the anti vegf medication but. But your body reacts, and and those those blood vessels don't form. Those, uh, they're not quite properly formed blood vessels, and then they start bleeding, and then the blood that that sort of biologic cascade causes the, the blindness. Mm-hmm. For some people, that's not the case. That they they don't respond as well, and they do require it every four weeks, and and so you need you do need to have a conversation with your. Uh, ophthalmologist who is the one who uh, delivers
0: What other differences uh, could people expect if they get to uh, go to their appointment? (laughs) mm <laughs> told that, uh, no, um, you don't need to come right away, you can wait uh, 16 weeks, and then all of a sudden, something happens to your vision or whatever, and you think it might be an emergency. What What's the best uh, course of action there?
4: Well, I, I would strongly encourage you to reach out to your eye uh, professional, medical professional, to, to see what, what they are able to do to get you in, to, to do an exam, to understand what's going on. Um, so the last thing you know, that, that anyone wants is, is for some serious conditions uh, developing, uh, complications developing that you lose your sight. Um, it, it, it is good to call in advance, find out uh, what, what the doctor says, or call the Ontario Health line. Get their advice whether or not uh, in your community going to the emergency ward is, for example, if you have a detached retina, you're seeing lights and stars and floaters, a lot of floaters, uh, you know, in in those warning signs of a detached retina. then mm-hmm. to call ahead so that they know that you're coming in, uh, if if your ophthalmologist says going to a eye special or into the emergency. Room, uh, yes. they they do they are offering those services. It is available and for you to take advantage of it.
0: And uh, if necessary, would they do surgery?
4: Uh, it they do, uh, they do, but it's obviously it's uh, it's only on emergency situations because they are trying to protect those uh, personal protective. Yes, uh, for, for all the COVID-related issues. But but if you have a detached retina, you need it fixed or else you'll lose your sight.
3: For
0: sure, yeah.
4: The, the other thing, of course, is your glaucoma and, and making sure that, that, you know, if you are taking daily drops, that you do follow the proper protocol for cleaning your hands. Yes. Um, and all of that. Uh, that, that's important. And you can find out that information at the Ontario Ministry of Health. Uh, website, or that you can also um, see it at, the, at at the Health Canada's website as well.
0: Right. Okay. Are there any other things that people can do to um, protect their eye health during this uh, pandemic?
4: Well, uh, for example, uh, if you are wearing contacts uh, by using glasses for the next little while. Um, that way you don't have to touch your face and, and eyes as often as you do if you're wearing contacts. Um, try, to, try to remember if you do have medications that, that you must uh, try to uh, uh, just be a little more advanced uh, in, in monitoring uh, sort of what your supply is. Uh, you know, I, I had a situation, my, my uh, dog has epilepsy, so it took three weeks for me to get his medication. Oh, no. Uh, so, uh, uh, fortunately, uh, they're, they're, they are trying to be more proactive uh, for people, thankfully. Yes. But, um, but also, uh, there is, uh, depending on the community, uh, there may be uh, a longer delay in getting your uh, prescriptions. So, so not, and, and they are limiting how uh, the supply from uh, a month or two months, depending on what the medication is. So that, those are other things you to think about uh, around uh, if you are taking other medications, that, that you do uh, build in time in this period. Um, the, the other stories that we're getting uh, from people calling in and reaching out to us is uh, not all of the medications, of course, are available or approved in Canada, mm-hmm. and and there has been uh, a, a handful of cases where people have called us and and they are get, uh, go to the United States to get uh, medications and cross the border. Well, that that option's not there anymore. No.
0: Hopefully, they're uh, continuing to look at those um, medications that aren't, haven't yet been approved by Health Canada, and, and uh, hopefully, they're not letting the pandemic uh, slow their work down too much.
4: Yeah, well, we we've, we've spoken with uh, the, the pharmaceutical companies that are supplying the main uh, medications for glaucoma age-related. Macular degeneration and and the diabetes related complications and cataracts. They they've all assured us that the supply chain is is but uh, it's strong uh, that the medications are available uh, for the ones that are approved by Health Canada. So it, it is it is uh, just a matter of uh, navigating the uh, other challenges with with uh, couriers and. To get the to get the pharmacist or the eye specialist um, the supply they need in order to fulfill your prescription.
0: Well, that's good. Yeah.
4: Um, we, we've also I don't I don't uh, one one thing I'd like to mention is that of course we're actively working with our vision partners, the Canadian uh, um, Council of the Blind, and, and our other vision partners uh, on the on the medical side, the optometrists and ophthalmologists. Uh, to do a quality-of-life survey,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
4: and we're trying to build the case for why new treatments uh, should be available in Canada. And so we, we've launched off of the FightingBlindness.ca uh, website um, a number of surveys, actually. Uh, we have one for inherited retinal diseases, so about 14 diseases in under that category that are inherited mm-hmm. and are causing blindness. And also, uh, we have for age related macular degeneration a survey. And the, the third one that we have up is the diabetes related complications, uh, diabetic retinopathy and di- diabetic macular edema. And we are, it, it the people living with these conditions, the stigma, the depression, uh, the falls, the, you know, what, what are you doing with assistive devices in order to help you navigate your world?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: For information uh, from these surveys,
4: well, there is one deadline. Uh, of course, in the right in the middle of, of the COVID pandemic, oh, uh, the government of Canada and it's uh, the organization's called CADIS. Their their uh, Canadian agency for uh, treatment and technology, they drugs and technology, they uh, gave us a May fifteenth deadline. To, to provide, uh, and I put in quotes, uh, patient input into whether or not the first bite-restoring treatment for an inherited retinal disease uh, should be available to Canadians approved for use and that, that it, whether or not a recommendation should go to each of the provincial health ministries, that it should be publicly funded. So, so the last week of March, they gave us notice, and, and we launched that day the survey, <laughs> as it turned out. Uh, and, uh, and we have uh, until May 15th to provide the feedback. So, so if, if you do have an inherited retinal disease, in particular, I, I urge you to visit fightingblindness.ca, uh, go to the news section, see the surveys, and, and link and do the click on to the uh, survey for inherited retinal diseases. Because uh, we're, we're keeping it open uh, for another two weeks or so, and then we're going to take all the data, uh, do the analysis, and make sure that we give uh, our patient input that, yes, this medication should be, this treatment should be available to Canadians, and that, yes, it should be publicly funded. So that's the only deadline. We're going to keep, keep collecting data for our, for our journal submissions, our publications. Yes. The articles we're writing.
0: Right? So people need to uh, get on there and uh, do those surveys.
4: That's June 20th, mm-hmm. uh, last year we raised almost $400,000 from our, our Toronto event. And, and it, uh, uh, of course, we, we're not going to hold it this year in person, so we're, we're moving virtually. And we asked the donors, the people who gave last year, the 2,400 donors that, that gave to the, the event. And uh, we were just so thrilled that 79% of them said they're going to give to it, even though it's going to be a virtual event this year. Uh, that's just amazing and, and we, you know, we are, we are raising the money to keep funding this amazing research that is turning into real treatments and to, to be able to run these quality of life surveys so that we can tell public policy decision makers and government and, and the community with insurance programs and that, that here are the issues facing our community. You know, we need, we need services, we need new treatments available. And, and we can answer the call when people call our health information line at 1-888-626-995. 1-888-626-2995. 626 2995 That's the number. All right. And Sherry, our health information officer, would be very pleased to answer any questions. And that's, that's our mission. right.
0: Terr- terrific. Did you want to talk about the virtual event now, or shall we uh, uh, chat uh, closer to uh, June 20th?
4: I would be happy to chat uh, closer to June 20th about the big plan.
0: That's what we'll do then. All
4: right. Thank you, Devin. Appreciate that.
0: Okay. Is there anything else that you wanted to pass along now that I haven't asked you about?
4: Uh, Just uh, I wish uh, everyone to keep safe. Um, I, I hear so many stories. Uh, for some people, the uh, touch is a very important part of navigating their world. And, of course, with COVID, it, it just adds that whole knee dementia to being able to live with, a, with blindness and, and knowing that touch is, is something now that, that is troubling, could be, could be spreading the virus. So, so please uh, make sure you wash your hands with soap and water. At least 20 seconds uh, before before you uh, clean clean your hands with the, rinse the water, uh, and please keep safe. We've we've got to definitely flatten the curve. We've got to get through this acute stage, and then uh, we we are talking with uh, the Ontario Health Ministry about what's going to happen next um, in in uh, when we're into phase two of COVID, and and making sure people can get access to the site restoring site saving uh, treatments, the anti vegf treatments, and, and glaucoma treatments, and and also you know get go to your optometrist to get your annual eye health to make sure that you're not at that earliest stages of these diseases that can because you can avoid blindness. So that that's, that's uh, our our job right now, and and we, we hope everyone is are keeping safe, uh, following the physical distancing. Uh, Recommendations from our from our medical and health public health people. It's uh, it's such a a different world. The new it normal, is. as they're saying, and and uh, we really hope everyone keeps safe.
0: Okay, that's great, Doug. Thanks so much for that, and we'll definitely pass this along. And uh, we'll be in touch uh, as we get closer to uh, June twentieth to talk about your virtual fundraiser.
4: Great, and our ride for sight.
0: Yes, for sure.
4: Yes. All right.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Doug. Take care. So, yes, if you happen to have a visual impairment and you fall into one of the categories that Doug was uh, talking about, I would certainly urge you to get on to that uh, website, Fighting Blindness Canada, and fill in the uh, survey whenever you can. Uh, before the uh, 15th of May. Well, we only have a few more minutes, and uh, I was thinking, uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether uh, it's uh, our mayor speaking, our premier, uh, uh, you know, the warden of our county, uh, the prime minister, whoever it is, they all say... We're all in this together, and we'll get through this together. So I thought it might be kind of uh, appropriate to finish today's show with Dick Todd, and uh, he always used to be compared to Bing Crosby, and you'll uh, you'll hear the um, similarity in his voice. He was uh, Canadian but he sure did sound like Bing Crosby. Anyway, I thought we should hear his version of When the Lights Go On Again. Hang in there, folks. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. (laughs) ¶¶
3: The skies above, A kiss won't mean goodbye. But hello to love when the lights go on again. Things Like wedding rings And free hearts will sing When the lights go on again All over the world When we have our victory And we've added to our history It will be right there to see How sweet and simple life can be.